0: Good morning. It's good to see the presence of all that are here. We have a, a good audience this morning. We hope that you've been edified this morning by the song service and prayers, and we pray that you will also be edified by the teaching this morning. We're going to talk about examining yourself. You know, it's easy for us in our society today to point fingers at everybody else, um, I've found recently, as we watch the news and we watch all of the things going on in, a, in our society, and people say, well, you're the problem, and then someone points the finger and says, no, you're the problem, there's two sides, and everybody thinks it's the other one's fault and the other one's problem, and nobody's examining their self, and I'll just be honest with you, in all of this bickering and all of the things that's been going on, I've had to step back and look at myself to examine me because I find it easy to point the fingers at other people and as the cause of problems in our society. And you know, sometimes that happens in the church and we talk about how everybody else is the problem and we don't examine ourselves. You know, there's even times we think if everybody was as dedicated as I am, the church would be exploding. In my service, in my dedication, in my study of the Word of God, if everybody did as good as I did, then the church would just explode. You ever think that? You know, if everybody was as dedicated as you, would the church grow? Would the church be better? If everybody was as dedicated as you are, I think sometimes it calls for us to reflect on ourselves and to examine ourselves. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, after much writing to them and much study to them, and after they're questioning the Apostle Paul, we find at the end of. Uh, the second Corinthian letter, he's trying to defend, or they're at least making him or admonishing him to defend his apostleship. They've gone from recognizing him as an apostle to now they doubt he's an apostle and prove it. And so, at the very end of this, this letter in chapter 13, he writes, You need to examine yourselves. Whether you're in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Christ, that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Now, reprobate means one who who didn't finish, one who fails. He's, you know, I was telling this morning, we were studying some, and I was talking about basically it's the umpire going, you're out of here. That's a reprobate. You didn't make it. And Paul is telling the Corinthians The church, you need to examine yourself. You need to look within and quit looking at other people, and you need to see what you're doing in service to the Lord. So this morning, we're going to examine, talk about examining ourselves and how to do that and what it means. We're going to examine whether we're in the faith, as Paul has asked us to do, whether Christ is living in us or not. We're the church. Christ is supposed to be living in us, As we go about from day to day, are we failed? Are we reprobates? And so we're going to examine these these things this morning, and I hope that you'll study along with me. I have most of the verses on the, uh, will be on the screen. Uh, If you care to read along in your own Bible, we encourage you to do that uh, as we go through the study this morning. He tells the Corinthians they need to examine themselves. And our attitude in examining ourselves is it should be instead of, well, who are you to tell me to examine myself? We ought to have a willingness to examine ourselves. We need to be in a hurry to examine ourselves. Psalms 119 says, "'I fought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. "'I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments.'" And this ought to be our attitude as we examine ourselves. It says, I fought on my ways. That didn't mean I just briefly thought about it. That means I examined my ways. I looked deep inside. I looked in the mirror and I said, who are you? Look into your heart and your mind. Examine who you are. So I fought on my ways and turned my feet. And I want to tell you something. This is more than a gradual turn. The ideal here is an about face. You can imagine an army as they do their exercise and they're they're marching together. And the commander says, about face. And immediately they turn. This is our attitude that we need to have in examining ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. And where we find a fault and we find it wrong, we need to about face. We need to turn quickly, and he goes on to to express that very idea, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandment. We need to be in a hurry to examine ourselves and where we find ourselves lacking to make haste and to turn to the Lord and do what he asks us to do. In Lamentation 3 and verse 40, he says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Lamentation is a crying, and the writer here is weeping, Uh, about the condition of Israel. And he says, let us search and try our ways. Search there means to look diligently, to to really dig deep and to look at ourselves. And then he says to try it. That means to put it on trial. Your ways, you need to examine yourselves and you need to compare your, your ways with evidence with testimony, and you need to put your way on trial. And if you don't meet up, you need to change. You need to turn again to the Lord. And so the writer here is telling us we need to put ourselves on trial. We need to examine our ways to see if we're in the right way. Notice when we take communion, we do this in remembrance of the Lord. And sometimes we, we just, Think about, well, we're doing this because the Lord commanded or the Lord, we're doing it because we remember the Lord. But there's a little more to it than that. If we read the whole text in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 31, it says, Therefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. What? I thought we were doing this in remembrance of the Lord. It's a time of examination. He said, when you take the Lord's Supper, you need to examine yourself. You don't need to examine the person in front of you. You don't need to examine the person behind you or sitting beside you, and you don't need to judge them whether they're worthy to take the communion or not. I remember years ago, it's been many years ago, there was a young lady that came up to me and she said, well, you need to do something about that person I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, they took communion and they're not a member of the Lord's body. And I said, were you examining them or were you examining yourself? You see, the commandment is to examine yourself when you take communion. That means you're to look deep inside your heart and your mind. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. What does that mean? Well, the judging there is the examination. Examination. When I'm partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, my examination is how do I look compared to the blood of Jesus Christ? How do I compare to the body that was crucified? That's where we need to be examining. When I look deep in my heart and my mind, do I meet up to this sacrifice? No. So I have no room to examine anyone else. I'm to examine myself. And if I examine myself when I partake of these things and I'm judged unworthy in the sense that I don't meet the, these sacrifices, I'm not, I am not—I don't meet up to these sacrifices, I need these sacrifices, then I truly discern the body and the blood. I understand what it's about now. I understand that I need this sacrifice to make me whole. That's how I need to partake of the Lord's body, judging and determining and examining myself. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he writes to the Corinthians, "'For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But by measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise.'" But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So here he's telling the Corinthians, you don't, if you're measuring yourselves by other people, you're not wise. And it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to say, well, you know, at least I'm not as, as bad as this person over here. Or at least I'm stronger than my, my brother or my sister over here. Or at least I'm doing better than some others. We, we compare our stands in the, in the light of, in the eyes of Jesus compared to other people, and that's wrong. because that's not who we need to compare ourselves to, when we compare ourselves to other Christians. And we say, I'm doing good based upon how I'm doing compared to them. I'm not wise because that's not our measure. That's not our standard. You know, I've been doing some floors at home, and, you know, I've been using a a tape measure pretty regular. That's a measure. It's a standard of rule. I can take that tape measure and stretch it out there and get three feet, and I can go out to the shop and I cut three feet, and I know it's the standard. Well, there's a measure or a standard that comes down to you and I today, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the standard. And if you're going to compare yourself to anybody, you need to compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And when I do that, I find myself lacking. I find myself not meeting the standard. And I need Jesus don't compare yourself to other brethren. Don't point at other people and say, you know, if, if those people would do as much as I did, the church would grow. The real question is, would the church grow if people were just as dedicated as you are? Examine yourself. Galatians 6 and verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. As we read this passage, it says, When you think yourself something, when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. You know, I don't like to be deceived. When someone tries to sell me something, I do the research. <laughs> I'm going to make sure it's what they say it is. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. I don't like to be deceived. But when I think I'm something and I'm really not, then I'm lying to myself. I'm deceiving myself. And I don't like being deceived. But you know what? It's so easy to deceive ourselves. But let a man every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And here's where it gets real easy to start judging other people because we get disappointed in other people's performance. A lot of times we'll complain, well, that brother or that sister's not doing as much as they need to be doing or they they should be doing. And I'm gonna be honest with you, Most of the time, those who complain are doing the least. Are doing the least. You can complain about other brethren, but what are you doing? What are you doing? Prove your own work. That's what he's saying here. You need to be busy about your own work. It reminds me of another, another man in the Bible named Peter. If you will, turn to, uh, this is not on the presentation, but uh, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And after the resurrection of Jesus, John, uh, he comes to Peter. And he begins to talk to, to Peter. And, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times. John chapter 21. We're going to start in uh, verse 15. And so when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again second, the second time, Simon, son of jo- Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Now what's interesting to me about this is here's Peter and he had denied Jesus three times with swearing and cursing. And they all scattered, just like Jesus said would happen. You're going to all leave me, and you're going to scatter. And he finds Peter out here fishing, like, okay, it's all over, and there's nothing else to do. And so he finds Peter, and he gets Peter to confess his love for him three times. And We would think Peter would be so thankful that Jesus gave him that opportunity, that Peter would just be all beside himself, that the Lord was willing to forgive him and put him in a place to feed his sheep, that the Lord still loves me after I denied him three times. And they get up, and they start to go in in verse 19. This spake he signifying what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken thus, he said unto him, follow me. Then Peter turned about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now here he is, Peter, just received this great blessing from the Lord that the Lord was willing to forgive him and and get him to work in the kingdom of God. And they get up and Jesus tells this other disciple, follow me. And then Peter looks at him and goes, well, Lord, what are you going to tell him to do? What's his job? Isn't that how we are? We get work in the kingdom of God. And then we start worrying about, well, whatever, what is everybody else going to do? What is everybody else's responsibility? It's not your business. Your business is your responsibility. And Jesus basically told Peter, what is that to you? If I tell him just to, just to tarry, you just wait here till I come again, what business is that of yours? You get busy in the kingdom of God. And if everyone did their job, the kingdom would grow. The church would flourish. If we will stop worrying about everybody else and what they're not doing and do what we are supposed to do in the kingdom of God, the church will flourish. So examine yourself. Take a good look in the mirror and deep down in your heart and your mind, Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Number two, examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. You know, that's an interesting phrase that Paul wrote to the Corinthians because, you know, they're in the church. He's writing to the church of brethren. And he says you need to examine yourself whether you're even in the faith or not. It's kind of a slap in the face, isn't it? If someone asks you, well, are you even a Christian? That's basically what Paul's asking. You need to examine yourself, whether you're even in the faith or not. Ephesians 4 and 4 says, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. The Scriptures teach us there is one faith. The world tells you there are many faiths. You can believe what you want to, and there's different roads to get to the same place. That's contrary to Scripture. That's contrary to the Word of God. If I were to tell you there was more than one God, you would say, no, there's only one, because the Scripture says... There's only one Lord and one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But it says there's one faith. There's only one. The question is this morning, are you in that faith? Are you in that faith? The faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, there needs to be some way of detecting that, doesn't there? What's interesting in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, as Saul, who was the apostle Paul later on, Saul, as he persecuted the church, indicates to us that there was something that he could tell the difference in these people. And he was on his way to Damascus to arrest people, and that's why he says he desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that he found any in this way whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the letters were approval that he could leave Jerusalem and go to another city, Damascus, and it was authority (coughs) that allowed him to enter into another territory and that if he found anybody in this way, what do you mean by that? Well, he went to arrest Christians. And it says if he found any in this way, he would arrest them and bind them with bonds, handcuff them, and bring them back to try them in Jerusalem. What's interesting to me is the apostle Paul, or Saul at the time, could tell the difference. He could tell the difference in these people that were in the way the Christians than his normal brethren. They could tell the difference. Let me ask you something. If Saul of Tarsus was arresting Christians today, would he arrest you? Or would you be camouflaged and look just like everybody else? Would you stand out as a Christian? I hope that we would this morning. I hope that we would stand out that if Saul of Tarsus looked at us, he would say, you're one of them, and I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem and try you. So there was a distinction about this way. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I'm going to tell you, if you're in this way, if you're in... The faith, the one faith, that means you're in Christ Jesus. Because as good as we are, we still fail. As much as we try, we miss the mark. And Jesus has taken that sin, that missing the mark upon him, and has placed his righteousness upon us. What a great blessing there is in Christ Jesus because we couldn't make it without him. Our righteousness comes from Jesus. To stand, to be able to stand before God the Father, it's because we have the blood of Jesus Christ on us and Christ has taken our sin and done away with it. And so we need to be in Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? In Galatians 3 and verse 26, notice what it says. For you are all the children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus. Remember the one faith? That one faith is in Christ Jesus. Well, how do we get in Christ Jesus? That's the question. Because I want his righteousness. I want to be able to stand before my father, cloaked in the blood of Jesus Christ, and to carry his righteousness. Well, how do I get in Christ it says for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words when we're baptized for the remission of our sins in obedience to Christ we put Jesus Christ on. That's how we're cloaked in his blood. When we obey him in baptism. And someone says well that's just a that's just a ritual that's It has nothing to do with salvation. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. You can't be saved without Jesus. You can't be saved and live eternally with him without being in Christ. And the scripture says that to be in Christ means we need to put on Christ. And the way to do that is when we're baptized into Jesus Christ. When our faith meets Jesus in the waters of baptism, it's not about the water. It's about our faith and our obedience to Christ in baptism. That's how we put on Christ. That's how we get into the one faith. And so ask yourself this morning, are you in that one faith? Are you in the faith of Jesus Christ? If not, your faith needs to meet Jesus in the waters of baptism. Thirdly, he says, prove that Christ is living in you. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 2, I told you before and foretell you as I were present, as if I was present the second time and being absent now, I write to them which were heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you, is not weak, but is mighty in you. Now what Paul is addressing here is the Corinthian brethren have gone from believing that Paul was an apostle who saw the miracles, who worked with him in establishing the church and the correcting of false doctrine to now we're in the end of the second letter and they're doubting he was even an apostle. And they said, not only do we doubt it, we want you to prove it. We want you to prove Christ is in you. And Paul is talking to them that he's fixing to come to them this, the third time. He said, you seek a proof of Christ in me. You need to think about it in you. So is Christ in you today? James 2, verse 18. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one good, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble, but thou know, O vain man, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. Now I'm going to tell you how dead your faith is without your works. You've been to a funeral lately where there's a casket and a body in that casket? That body is dead. You know how we know? Because what makes that body work is gone. The body without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So I can say I have faith. I'm in the faith, Brother Craig. I'm in the faith. I believe in Jesus. But my life doesn't show it. I don't worship God as ought to. I don't go to church and help my brethren fight the good fight of faith. I cheat on my taxes. I lie. Sometimes maybe I curse when I'm out with my friends or I get drunk. Faith without works is dead. And you can say you believe in Jesus all you want to, but if your life doesn't show it, your faith is dead. So is Christ living in you? If Christ is living in you, then you need to show the works. You need to do what Christ has asked you to do. Is Christ living in you? John 8, verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Jesus said his disciples, his followers, continue in his word. That's why it's so important to read the Word of God, the Bible. That's why it's so important to study it every day. Not just because the preacher says, well, you need to read your Bible, right? The preacher says, read your Bible, and we go, okay, I will. One of these days, I'll get to it. And then when something comes along and, and our life is messed up, we say, here, we need to open the book, and we need to see what Jesus says about it. You know, I've had people that believe certain things all their life, and then I start talking to them about it, and they go, well, I didn't know that was in there. (laughs) I didn't know that was in there. Did you read it? Continue in his word. This is the mirror. You know, I had a picture of a young lady looking in the mirror to examine herself. This is the mirror that you need to be looking in. This is the one that will show us who we truly are and why we need Jesus Christ. Continue in his word. John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. Sometimes the church gets to where it looks like just another organization or some social group. Sometimes we come in at the last minute and leave before everybody gets to speak to us. And I know it's difficult in this COVID times, and I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that's tough because we're not supposed to be lingering and, and hugging on each other and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, we are to love one another. And our love for our brethren needs to exceed that love or the fellowship we have with the world and so does your love for the brethren in the church, does it exceed your relationships to the world? A lot of times there are, <clears throat> we like to go, <clears throat> pardon me, we like to go associate with the world more than we like to come to church. And church is a burden. And, and I'm going to tell you something. When I miss church, I miss my brethren. I miss them. When I'm gone on a two-week work, I know I'm with brethren but I miss my brethren here. I go preach in other places, and I think about home. I think about the singing here, and I think about the the closeness we have. We need to love our brethren. This is how the world will know we're his disciples, his followers, with the love that we show to one another. Prove that Christ is living you. John 15 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto your father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And he's talking to his disciples here before his crucifixion. And he's praying for them and talking to them about what they need to do. And he says, you need to be connected to the vines, what he's telling them. You need to abide in me. That means your source of strength, your source of spiritual nutrition needs to come from me. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Because if you get away from me, if you leave me behind, you will die as a branch on the vine. And you will be purged and burned. That's what happens when we get away from our brethren. That's what happens when we we leave the church. We go out into the world and we become spiritually sick and we become weak and we become like that withered vine. And Jesus said, it'll be pruned and it'll be burned. And so your source needs to come from Jesus and his word. Abide means to stay, to stay in it. And you'll receive the blessing of the Lord. Or are you a reprobate? In other words, a reprobate is one who fails. And that's what Paul's asking these Corinthian brethren. You need to look into yourself. You need to re examine your heart and your mind to determine whether you're in Christ. Or are you a reprobate, one who has failed Jesus Christ? As the umpire says, you're out of here. <laughs> that's a reprobate you're out, you failed. Paul said that'll happen unless we examine ourselves and stay in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4 and verse 20, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now that statement is interesting. He's not talking to evil and wicked people right? He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and me who are baptized, believing members of the body of Christ. Paul's talking to the church. He said that you walk not as other Gentiles walk. Well, how do the Gentiles walk? The unbelievers. They walk in the vanity of their eyes. They think they're somebody. They think they're all right. They're vain. They're They're puffed up. Having their understanding darkened. They really don't know what they're talking about. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them. The ignorance there means lack of knowledge. They don't know the will of God for their life. So they're ignorant of those things of the life of God because of the blindness of their heart. Their hearts dark, who's being past feeling, have given themselves over to a lasciviousness, lewdness, to work all in cleanness with greediness. Now then, I know those are big words. (laughs) I was watching the news the other day, and I think I came to a better understanding about these words. When you have people marching on the street and they take someone and they beat them to death with no feeling, they don't care. You know, when I see someone hurt, I want, my heart of compassion goes out to them. I have a care for them. I, I, I feel for them. I want to help them. But people have gone past feeling. They don't care anymore. It's not my concern. I'm going to get what I want, and I'm going to get it how I want. That's with uncleanness, with greediness. And you see it every day if you're watching the news, that people have gone past feeling. They don't care about people anymore. That's how the Gentiles walk. That's not how you and I are to walk. We're not to be vain or puffed up. We're to understand our position in Christ. We understand we're sinful and we need the blood of Jesus. We understand that Jesus teaches us how to treat people with love and care and be concerned about people and share the gospel so that other people can enjoy those blessings. But when we get to the point we don't care anymore, we are headed down this path. We want what we want. And there are sometimes we have people sitting in the pew that come to church on Sunday because, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do on Sunday, but the rest of their life is, I don't care. And Jesus said through Paul, but you have not so learned of Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That's not what Jesus teaches us. He doesn't teach us to be this way that the Gentiles walk. He teaches us to have compassion. He teaches us to love our fellow man. He teaches us to worship him with our heart and our mind and our soul, to love him first and our neighbor As ourselves. He doesn't want us to be a reprobate, to fail the mission. And so this morning, as we consider these things, examine yourself. Are you a reprobate? Do you walk as the Gentiles do? Hebrews 12, verse 14 follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You know, we can walk in peace but it says we're to walk not only in peace, but with holiness. That means our life needs to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and it needs to be holy. Titus 1:16 16 that he talks about some who profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work of reprobate. They profess, they know God, yes I know God, I, I believe in Jesus. I love the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. But my works deny him. I walk as a Gentile in the world. I do things I shouldn't do the rest of the week. Are you a reprobate? 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, the Lord knows them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's what Jesus is calling you to do this morning. To examine yourself. To examine yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. That you have Jesus living in you and that you're not a reprobate. Because Jesus is calling you to depart from iniquity and to serve him in his kingdom. And it's not other people's responsibility about your work. You need to work for the Lord. Just like the Lord says to Peter, it's not your business. If everybody was as dedicated and worked as hard as you do in the kingdom, would the church be better off? If not, you need to repent. You need to be more dedicated. You need to serve God so that you're not a reprobate. If you're not in Jesus Christ this morning, you need to be buried with him in baptism. You need to be in Christ, and he will take your sins away, and he will cloak you in the blood of his righteousness. And you can stand before God made whole, and you can serve him in his kingdom. This morning, if we can help you in your service to the Lord, we ask that you come forward and make your wishes known as we stand and sing.